0: I greet you each one this morning in the worthy name of Jesus and contemplate the reality that he's worthy and we're not with the exception of the fact that because of his mercy and our faith in his provisions for us that we become worthy of a relationship with the worthy one. And since in his name, I want to greet you this morning had some mixed feelings about bringing the message this morning. I uh, decided to proceed with your prayers and understanding. I'd just like to make this, this comment about what we're facing, Marie and I. Um, you got the news about the situation, Brother Ellis referred to it again this morning. I want to say we appreciate your prayers. We, we sense your prayers. And we appreciate it. Just like to say for those of you maybe who uh, don't know exactly what we're, we're uh, relating to, during procedure this past Wednesday, they uh, discovered a mass, and we were told immediately that the disappointing news that this mass is cancerous and that it will be needed need to be taken care of as soon as possible, um, plans are for a CT scan this Wednesday, and a surgeon, plan to see a surgeon on the 15th, so we we know that we're in God's hands, and we commit it all to Him, but like Ellis said, it kind of interrupts our, our vision of life and our dreams, and so we... Appreciate your prayers. If you'd like to follow along, turn with me to Titus, (laughs) second chapter, in light of Circumstances have added a section to this message that wasn't in it before. It has to do with, with suffering. It's part of God's plan for us to turn suffering into something productive for his glory. This morning, our text comes from chapter 2, verse 10, where it says that, that, ye may, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. And so the message titled this morning is Adorning the Doctrine. In verse 1 of chapter 2, starts out with, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. This was Paul's admonition to Timothy, young minister, young bishop, to keep things on course, to have control of bringing people's minds to the the truths and realities of God's will so that God could be glorified through their life experience. And it's interesting that in this chapter, we have a number of things listed as instructions for different uh, age groups of people. And I haven't really given all this an, uh, a thorough breakdown. I just want to uh, look at the context and then we'll settle in on verse nine and, verses 9 and 10 and go from there with some other perspectives of how it affects us. So I'm gonna, I want to read verses 1 through 10 this time. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and in charity and patience. The age of women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. He that is, That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again not purloining, but showing all good fidelity and that, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our savior in all things. Now the setting here is that Paul's giving Timothy or Titus rather, some instructions as to how to relate to these different age groups and give them some pointers and direction to help direct the church in a way that is wholesome and like I said, to bring glory to God. In verse seven, he says, "In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works." Now it's kind of interesting. We hear this debate going on about good works. Uh, sometimes we call them our our uh, our statement of faith, our rules and discipline, our rules that uh, some people kind of resist. Rules, actually, I like the term. Uh, brotherhood agreement that things that we have by the spirit over over the history of our, our working together as a brotherhood we have made the applications of scriptural truths applied practice to principle and I believe we could call those good works and some seem to stumble at that because, because and, and I understand this because there have been situations where people have disregarded their, their real vib- vibrant responsibility, uh, uh, responsibility for a vibrant relationship with Jesus on a personal basis that brings us to live out these things that are considered good works and rather haphazardly and in a casual way, connect to Jesus and then perform these good works so that they can feel good about their direction in life. I understand that that tends to breed some discontent and disrespect for the church. And so I'd just like to admonish us this morning to be sure that in light of the fact that we are exhibiting the good works that are commanded in Scripture and applying Scripture principles to our walk of life that it's because of a heart that answers to that hymn we sang of being directed by the Holy Spirit. Allowing Him to move in our hearts to have that want to and that desire to please God and in so doing we are obedient to the truths of Scripture that admonish us as to how to walk and how to live, how to conduct life. And so I'd like to go back to verse 7, but speak down the things that become sound doctrine. What is doctrine? Uh, actually, this shows up again in verse 10, our text verse. <clears throat> Maybe I'll just skip to verse 10 and, and uh, look at the definitions that we find for the words that are there. The three words I want us to focus on and it's interesting what some of these words, uh, the one word especially, not purloining. Now, let me back up and just say this, that in this verse, or in verse nine, he says, exhort servants to be obedient. As And we may deduct from that that, well, it's okay if you're not a servant, this isn't for you. Well, the reality is, and I believe this is where Paul was coming from in, in exhorting Titus, that servants are the prime example of the children of the master. We are all servants. And so all these, these admonitions fit all of us. And that's the context I'd like for us to focus on as we uh, sort through this this morning. As he admonishes him, uh, is, has been, is admonishing Titus to instruct servants, he says, be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again. How often have you argued with God? I told somebody recently that I had a little session I remember vividly where I argued with God. Right off, that sounds wrong. But in our humanity, there's times that we don't really understand and we need to get things sorted out. And sometimes we we at least ask God to help us figure things out and I call that arguing with God. Maybe, maybe that's a little strong. But I had some, I had some feelings about things, and so I was uh, unloading my feelings to God, not in anger, not in this, uh, in disregard for God. But it, I didn't understand, and I, I was trying to figure out where, how to relate. I'll explain to you what it was. Our family was on a western trip as a an outing for the family. Uh, back a number of years ago, it would have been uh, in the early 90s. Our oldest son was be- becoming an older teenager, and we didn't know how long he'd be hanging around the family, and we wanted to do this for some time as a family. <clears throat> and so it was about a three-week trip, a little over 8,000 miles, I'm not sure if it was uh, exactly what that was, but but anyway. Our daughter, Marilla, was uh, young, I I don't know, she's 12 maybe, something like that, and she had had developed some real physical issues on the trip, and it it dampened our our trip. We couldn't travel long days, and so an eight-hour day was a long day traveling, and uh, I sat on the very end of the seat that was assigned to me. The teenage boys did most of the driving. And she needed to lay down, so I got pushed right to the edge of the seat. I mean, right to the edge. I had I had just a few inches of the seat. I don't know if you ever tried riding like that very far, but that gets miserable. Well, we were entering California from the north, and I thought we got all the way to the west coast, we were ready to head home, okay? And we entered California, and we took in some of the sights, and we enjoyed the Pacific Coast, which is totally different than the Atlantic Coast, in case you didn't know it. But three days later, we were still in California. And I came to the conclusion, you can't get home from here. Three days toward home, and we haven't even gotten closer to home. Well, that wasn't really the argument. We turned the corner and headed east. Uh, We didn't get to Los Angeles. We would planned to go there to visit my sister, but because of our daughter's problems, we decided to, that wasn't going to work, and so we headed we headed east. Finally, we're headed home. Oh, we want to take in the Grand Canyon. That was one of the things we really wanted to see. So we made our way to Grand Canyon. We get there; it's five it's five till five or something like that. It was just about closing time, and we didn't have another day to hang around. That was supposed to happen that day, but we got late. So we decided to look, watch the IMAX so we could get a grand view of everything and, and see what it's all about, at least since we're there. We rushed to the edge of the canyon, looked down in, and got a, an idea of what this is. And then we went and watched the IMAX, and then, then we discovered we were an hour earlier, and we thought we'd just crossed the time zone. Well, so much for that. The next morning, we, we headed on east And I was so disappointed, we didn't really get to enjoy the beauty and the reality of Grand Canyon. And I thought about all the other places, Yellowstone National Park, and many other attractions out there in the West that we didn't have time for. We didn't even have the money to travel to see it all. And this is just a little spot in the world. And God created all these beautiful, wonderful uh, attractions for people to enjoy and and marvel at and, and assign him as the wonderful creator, sustainer of all these things. And we're riding along and I'm thinking, okay, God, what's up? You create all these things and you put us here to enjoy it, but then you limit us. There's just no way we can enjoy it all. We, we, it's, it's impossible. We can't travel there. We can't afford to travel. We don't have the time. It just doesn't work. What's with this? And I, I really was kind of like, this isn't fair. Well, I didn't hear an audible voice in the van. But as we traveled, the truth kind of settled in. Nelson, I didn't create this for you. Exactly. But I do have something waiting for you, and and it's you'll have all eternity to investigate it. And this earth is nothing compared to what's coming. So set your sights on something more. Be thinking about the truths of the future, the realities that are ahead. Don't miss that. And then I felt like God had won the argument and I was content. And I'm still content, although I enjoy evaluating the handiwork of God and enjoying that. And allowing it to to bring praise for me for who he is and what he has done and what he can do. And we have ways of visiting those things. And actually, we have some benefits that many other people haven't had. But I'll warn you, you can spend way too much time investigating on electronic devices to evaluate all that's out there and you can actually steal your time. You should be meditating on the Lord, worshiping Him from the heart. Actually, that's one of the things, I guess... I'm gonna share here this morning. As I look back over my life, the last number of years, I I've can well, let me say this. The sermon we had here on Sunday night, the last Sunday, when Brother Philip brought us a message about the, the dangers and the pitfalls of the electronic uh, gadgets that, that we have at our disposal. He said something that that resonated with me. I kind of knew it. I was kind of responding to it in my life, but it kind of hit me between the eyes. Nelson, you gotta take stock of where you are in this. And that is this, that the noise of the electronic realities that you can tap into can so easily snuff out that still small voice relationship with God that's so necessary and so important for us to really have a vibrant spiritual connection with god and as i looked at that and thought about that i realized he was right that had happened to me has happened i'm not saying had happened as if my life is destroyed please get me right i have experienced that and i want that to change and and i had been working on that but i didn't realize the gravity of it and so here, when Paul is exhorting Titus, he says that, that we're to, to exercise gravity. What he means by that is take things serious. Look at things with a critical eye as to where the, how they affect your spirituality, your relationship with God. And by the way, some of these truths and, and, and applications to spiritual situations actually turn out to be the doctrine. We teach, we exhort, we give admonition. That's what that word doctrine means. Actually, it's interesting. I want to break down a little bit more of of, 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 of verse 10 now. The word, and I'm going to back up and, and pick up where I left off a while ago. The word not purloining, that word purloining is an interesting word. I thought, well, why is that so important? What what is that? And so I, I looked it up. Discovered is not used in, our, in, in scripture, but twice, basically. Here, as it relates to servants, and then in Acts 5, chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, where it's talking about Ananias and Sapphira. And there it was trans, the same word was translated, hold back, or keep back. They kept back money by pretending they had given. They they by deception they held back. They kept back for themselves. In other words, uh, well, let me read you the definition. It's to, if I can say this word properly, I I I have said it, I know what it means. Sequestrate. It's to sort out or or pull out and set aside, sequestrate for oneself, or another word is used here to explain this word is to embezzle. Uh, To embezzle is to to take, just gradually take back, keep back for oneself something that they're not entitled to. Just recently I heard of a person that had been charged with embezzling $500,000, a lady, over a number of years here locally, and I thought, the business she worked for wasn't all that prolific. I didn't think they handled that much money. But over time, it accumulated. And this is something else that has spoken to my heart. And that is, as I think about my commitment to God and my walk with him, how much have I, sequestrated for me that really I've held back giving all of myself giving, surrendering everything dying to self for the purpose of advancing the kingdom and for the glory of God and my record's not clear I confess that actually I think it's part of the growing process for all of us Because we have that tendency to protect self, self self-preservation. Do what is for me. We were here at a wedding yesterday and the minister who I believe is here this morning, asked a question. As I thought about it, I wanted to answer, but I wasn't sure that I knew exactly where he was coming out, so I didn't and he didn't really mean for us to give an audible answer, I don't think, maybe a show of hands. He asked, how many of you have witnessed a crucifixion? Well, I haven't, but I have. I've witnessed a lot of crucifixions. Jesus said that if you're gonna gonna be my disciple, you're gonna die. Paul says you deny yourself, take up your cross daily. And that's a sort of crucifixion that needs to be happening daily. And I'm gonna give you an illustration that actually applied to that message yesterday as I thought about it. You know, there's times when I have, my wife has not understood, Marie has not understood my perspective. And in the fact that I'm human and I make mistakes, I have made some mistakes. And, and she has assigned me with, with uh, you might say, uh, a motive for my misstep or my lack of whatever. Uh, And and this isn't for her shame, okay? I'm pretty sure a lot of you can identify with this. And there's times that I've tried to defend my position and I've said, now, wait a minute. You know, this is how it is. Not like you said, it's like this. You know what the perfect illustration of of, of crucifixion there is? Is to just let it go forgive, show mercy in case she's wrong and learn from it and and pray for grace in case she's right. I have successfully been involved in that crucifying process. I want you to know that by the grace of God. But there's too many times that I haven't. I've hung on to my life. I've I've embezzled an opportunity to glorify God by holding back what should have come forth, a dying selfless spirit. So I hope you understand this morning I want to make this message practical. I hope it's becoming practical. And if I'm going to make it a message, it needs to have a definite end and I need to hurry. The word fidelity is an interesting word here. And he says, but not prolonging, not holding back, but showing fidelity. Well, I think we think we know what that means. To me, I always thought of that as being sincere and honest and forthright. And it does, but it has more to do than that. Actually, that word fidelity speaks of the doctrine, so to speak, because uh, as I understand the the, uh, definition of it, it's kind of a long definition it's it's religious truth or the truthfulness of God or or a religious teacher and so that's kind of how we think of it but it goes on to say especially reliance upon reliant uh, upon Christ for salvation abstractly constantly in such profession by extension uh, these are maybe I'm not making sense or or it's not. I'm reading something else and they made sense, I may be not helping you with it. But here's what I'm going for, the next phrase, the system of religious truth itself. And then it has in parentheses the gospel. Well, I saw that as doctrine, that's the doctrine. But fidelity is actually faithfulness to the doctrine. And so it's all combined together, so to speak. The definition of doctrine is actually just uh, as, as, given in the, the Strong's Concordance anyway, instruction or the function of the information, the, the actual outworking of that information is, is the adorning of the doctrine. And the doctrine is, is what you've been taught. The truth applied. That's the doctrine. And so let's read that verse again. Not purloining, but showing good, all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. Now, there's one word we haven't looked at, and that's adorn. What is adorn? And the word adorn has the idea of, of, well, actually, verse verse 7 says it. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, and so on. It's like, and, and I'm going to use this illustration. I don't like to promote the Christmas tree at Christmas because we shun that because the Christmas tree can become an idol. It can become something that that we, that we people look at as the focus of Christmas. It's what brings them their joy. They go get that tree and they decorate it and they put lights on it and somehow that brightens the spirit. We had a neighbor that almost, I don't know how to say this, but he seemed to be in competition with himself about how many ornaments he could put in his yard at Christmas and how many lights, and how much new stuff, and oh, he spent days and days. It was a full-time job for, it seemed like weeks, getting everything set up, and getting, and and he was so proud of this and that, and, and he would tell us about this new ornament that he adorned his lawn with, okay? Uh, it, was to, it was his way of, I think, fulfillment over this season of time, because I don't think he knew the true fulfillment of Jesus, the gift of eternal life. And so possibly from childhood memories of exciting times and gifts and and excitement and and the lights, all this goes together to to kind of boost and bolster that excitement and that joy, you might say at Christmas time. Well, we don't promote that, but we can learn from it. Paul, I don't think promoted uh, professional athletic sports. But he did refer to it because people understood it, and so that's what I'm doing here this morning. But these these decorative ornaments that are used at Christmas time are a way to to uh, bring glory to the situation, make make it more exciting and and uh, come alive. Well, I want us to think about our lives and our good works and our desire to pursue God's will in our life, when we bring that to fruition, it's it's an adorning reality to the gospel and to the, the program of, of God's will in the church. And so the question is for us this morning to make a personal application, am I adorning, am, am I hanging those ornaments, so to speak, by my obedient surrender to God's will? Is it bringing praise and glory to the reality of what God has in mind for the focal point of the gospel? And so this becomes personal now. And I have a number of ornaments that I want to relate to just briefly. And I plan to not spend a lot of time, but just mention them and bring a spiritual perspective about scripture. But before I get there, I want us to think about another thought. And that is, we talked about lights at Christmas. Scripture says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's our commission, not just an opportunity. How are we do it? Are we letting our light shine? Now, this is a little play on words, um, but every day starts with new sunshine, right? Well, I want to think about us as being the sunshine of the world only this time sun is spelled S-O-N and there's a special day of the week where we, we exalt the gospel and we call it Sunday but I'd like to change that to S-O-N-D-A-Y it's God's son's day oh, by the way do you wear Sunday clothes? As a child, that's all I, we didn't call them dress clothes, we called them Sunday clothes. We had a closet that its section had Sunday clothes. What was that about? Well, it's, it's a sense, it's a symbolism, I think, that has some validity, but it's, it's, It's the way we acknowledge the importance of a special day that honors a special reality. And so we do. We have clothes that we wear for special occasions to show respect and and honor for for God, for each other on that special day. I think it it happens other times too. But I want us to think about that there's a sense in which what we do is also Sunday adornment. Every day of the week, any day of the week. It's when we are obedient to following God's will for our lives. In Philippians 2, 14, it says, Do all things without murmuring and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. By the way, just just uh, uh, drop it in here. It's a little bit like purloining. It's holding back our true call to be uh, worshipers of God with true hearts of love and showing forth the joy and the blessing of God at work in our life, we can destroy that that ornament with murmurings and complainings and disputings. And he says, don't do that. And it's implied that if you do that, you become blamable and you can bring harm. But otherwise... You can be without rebuke in the midst of a crooked world where those things naturally take place. Okay, I want to look at some of the ornaments now, the things that are the lights, so to speak, that adorn the gospel, that, that shine light on the reality of God's plan, his will, his program. First one, and these are not in any special order. There's many more that could be developed, and each one could be a message or a series of messages. So, Brother Jeff, you wonder what to preach? Here's here's an outline for you. You can get started. I'm just going to introduce him. Use not your liberty inappropriately. We have liberty in Christ. We have been liberated to serve him, to experience the blessedness of life. He says, don't, don't abuse it. Actually, abuse not your liberty. In Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, ye have been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Oh, another opportunity for crucifixion. Love, you serve, you die to your own desires and self-importance for the good of others. 1 Peter 2.16, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Isn't this interesting? This thing of liberty, we, we, we live in a land that is touts liberty. We're the land of the free. And people like to use that as, I have the right to do what I want to do and you don't tell me otherwise. That's kind of an attitude that has developed. And you can see it. There's these license plates that go around They're they're orange and they have this snake coiled on them. You know what this license tag says? Don't tread on me. And what they're saying is, I live in a land of freedom and liberty. You better leave me alone. I have my life to live and I'm going to live it for myself. You stay out of my way. That's the idea. Am I wrong? Did I say it wrong? I don't think so but that influences us. We tend to think in those terms. We live in this land of freedom. Peter says, serve one another. You know what, servants aren't free. Servants are bound and obligated to others. And there's where I say, I feel like I could have done better through my life of not holding back for myself, being more of a servant. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Yeah. Others have needs sometimes more than we do. More than we realize. But if our hearts are are open to the spirits working and and we have that desire to please God and to love him and show that love, those opportunities will begin to show up. When we're living for self, we don't see the needs of others very well. It's when we are out of love for Jesus, serving him and and his, his heart is becoming our heart that we begin to see where we can find. I don't think we should go out and beat the bushes and look for people that have problems. But I believe that we should be so, so much servant minded that we won't miss those opportunities that just are there. I had an opportunity last evening, yesterday afternoon. Young man, I say he's young man because he's younger than me. A lot of you say he's an older man. But I sense that because of, of sorrow in his life experience and the joy and the bliss of the wedding yesterday made it very difficult on him. The easy thing to do would be, I don't know, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna frustrate him, I don't wanna make it harder on him, I'll just leave him go. But I had wanted to talk to him anyway and I decided I saw his pain and so I, I just laid my hand on him and I encouraged him that the past we can't change. But God is a God of mercy and love and he wants relationship with anybody anytime. And from now on he can be his close friend and he can meet the needs, those hurts in his heart. And he thanked me. And I'm not saying that because I'm boasting that I finally got around to doing it right one time. I'm simply giving an illustration how it can work. There was one area I was going to boast on a little bit and tell you that I have the right to because Paul did it. He said, excuse my boasting. And then he gave some things that he did right. This was supposed to come a little earlier in the message. And I I failed to think of it in the introduction. But I want to talk about it in terms of of our lives ministering and showing light. People should be noticing. Not that we try to be noticed. But there ought to be little indicators that we're getting it right. Some time ago, maybe I've shared this with you, I'm not sure, but some time ago, Marie and I were at Costco, and the guy that was at the checkout, when he got to, it got to our turn, he says, well, I don't remember how he said, but it was in this, this venue, well, hello, brother and sister, it's so good to see somebody that loves the Lord, and you can just see it on their face. He said, I, I just love it when I see somebody come through that I can identify as in love with Jesus. And every time he sees us in the store, he'll go out of his way to come and say, "Well, hello, brother." And he, and, and actually, he's come and said, "Is there anything I help you with today?" And invariably, he'll go out of his way to say hello, and he uses the term brother or sister, and he has that smile on his face. And we've talked about spiritual things already, but I'm and I, I'm not saying because we get it all done right, but I'm saying that. Yes, I've done some things wrong in life, but my life hasn't been all uh, under the shadow, under the shade of not getting it right. I'm just curious. Has anybody else had that experience at Costco? Uh, I just, okay. I would kind of expect that that some more of you have been noticed too. And if you haven't, it's not because uh, you don't have the smile and you're not loving the Lord. You just maybe didn't bump into the right guy to notice. Anyway, there's, I'm gonna to have to leave off some verses here and move quickly. Ephesians, uh, The next ornament is a de- uh, unity and uniformity. Ephesians 4, 3 through 5 uh, through 7. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body, one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. It's that oneness. And then in in chapter four, verse 13, going on down to 14, verse 13 says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, we're we're striving for not focusing on those things we've done wrong, like I mentioned this morning. But but we, uh, we we ask we repent we we seek God's grace first of all He's mercy, and then we we reach out for His grace by faith, and we move on in obedience to the truth, and open to that truth. Another verse, Philippians two two says, "Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being in one accord of one mind." The next ornament would be, I've referred to, but I want to mention it here is self-denial. In Matthew 10, 38 and 39 it says, And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And I've already said a good bit about that. The next ornament I want us to think about briefly is faith through suffering. This is the section I added. <clears throat> In James 10, 5, 5, 10 it says, Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. And that's kind of out of context, but I want you to see this. It says, suffering, affliction, and of patience. Affliction and handling it right, committing ourselves to God through it, by faith, will bring patience. In 1 Peter 2.18, <clears throat> It talks about uh, suffering now this is not physical suffering this is suffering that is is brought on by the rejection this the, the scorn of the world and so on uh, as they look at our faith and he says this he says in verse 20 for what glory is it if when ye are buffeted for your faults ye take it patiently but if when ye do well and suffer for it you take it patiently this is acceptable with god for even hitherto were ye called because christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that we should follow his steps this suffering is enduring these uncomfortable situations in life that is a a part of or it's 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 in the context of the reality of crucifixion dying to sell christ was our example of that that was the prelude to the reality of the climax that he was able to suffer people called him names they they said he was not what he, what he really was. They gave him a bad reputation. They said he was, he was uh, born out of wedlock. He was uh, scum of the earth. That wasn't our master. That wasn't our Lord. That wasn't the God that they were scoffing. But he endured that with patience. A precursor. or pre, Well, maybe it was a precursor <clears throat> to what was to come. But I want us to notice something else. I believe that we do find in, uh, instruction about physical suffering after Peter um, in, in chapter 4 talks about the fact that even the people of the, in the world suffer affliction. Then he says this, Wherefore let them suffer according to now, about the Christians, he said, wherefore, let them, them suffer according to the will of God, committing the keeping of their souls to him and well-doing as unto a faithful creator. God notices, God understands, and he's faithful. And the, the responsibility we have is to be faithful in our faith through suffering and allow it to build, bring, bring us to ever more dependency on God. There is a, a phrase I wanted just to notice in, in chapter 5 of, of First Peter. It says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory, dominion, forever and ever. Amen. Well, I have more ornaments and I'm not going to even even mention them all. Well, I'll mention them, but I won't get, get into them so much one of being unequally yoked uh, or nonconformity conformity to this world, not being yoked to the dark aspects of this world. But I, I did want to bring out this verse here in, in Titus 2, 13 uh, and 14. It says, Who gave himself for us, for into Christ, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works, non-resistance another ornament we'll skip that one Uh, this one kind of fits that one the two kingdom concept do we understand it in John 18 36 Jesus answered my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews but now is my kingdom not from hence and so we have Two ornaments there in one, non-resistance and how that relates to the two kingdom concept. And now the last one I don't want to leave off, and that is the ornament of worship. In Ephesians four eleven through sixteen, I wanted to read, and we'll just break in at verse twelve and skip a couple of verses for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying. I'm going to back up, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about and so on. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love grow may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to effectual working or the grace of God that's having an effect in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. How does that have to do with worship? our life of obedience, our response to God's will, a proper response to God's will of ornamenting the doctrine, the truth, the teaching, of the reality, the spiritual uh, concept and, and purpose and reality of God. When we, when we adorn it or we complement it by the way we live so that it can be seen easier by those who are needing to know, actually that's an act of worship. It's it's giving place in our hearts to God, making room for Him to be number one. The last verse, then, to wrap it up. Colossians three ten, and have put on the new man. This is this is uh, the admonition for how the capsule as capsules. Let me see if I can get this right. Encapsulating this thought of being the ornament that God can use and and bless and be blessed by, honored by is that we put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And so if we're going to be an ornament that is an effective ornament, adorning the gospel, adorning the doctrine, the more we're like Christ, the more we look like Christ, act like Christ and our an expression of Christ, the more effective our ornamentation of the doctrine is. So, I just want to encourage us to worship God with all our hearts, to open ourselves to the spiritual gospel realities. That for me to to die, like Paul said there in uh, was it Galatians two twenty, that for I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so that reality can be a reality that helps further the doctrine, the gospel, in the lives of those around us. You say you're not called to be an evangelist? Yes, you are. By the way you respond, by the way you die, by the way you live. You are evangelizing. You are holding forth light that those in darkness can see to find the way.